And today's episode is the next step in a story that we started to tell over a hundred episodes ago. And you're going to love the next update in this wonderful saga of a story. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Russell Westcott here. So having a wonderful day. We're just, uh, you know what? Uh, offers have been going out. Multiple offers. I think we had, geez, I think we wrote, what was it? One, two, three, four. Four offers that went out this week. And uh, you know what? Let's Fingers crossed. Wish me well. Hopefully they all get accepted. But you never know. You just never know when you put a, an offer out into the world. Sometimes it gets accepted. Sometimes it doesn't. One of the other cool things that just came back and some of the projects that we're working on that I'm seeing is um, actually really kind of cool is the appraised values on some of the infill projects that we're looking to do in Edmonton. The appraised values are coming in stronger than what I an anticipated and coming in stronger than the build cost. So really cool thing is, is it's always nice to have some built-in equity right from day one um, because you negotiated well, because you got really good pricing. And, and bottom line, it's all 100% because of the team. The team, the work that they did to analyze, to identify the opportunities, to come up with the, the right model, the right pricing structure, the right uh, floor plans, uh, the financing team, everything. It's just a pure team effort. But it's always nice when you get that little um, acknowledgement of having an appraised value come in stronger than what you're acquiring the asset for. Now that, in my opinion, is a win. Okay, so speaking of wins and speaking of winners, um, I believe it was episode 62 when I started this story the first time when I shared this wonderful story. Um, this is going to be the next evolution in the story of Jamie Gruber. JB, Jamie, uh, let me be clear about that, Jamie Gruber. Uh, it was about two years ago, I think I, I shared the. I share it in this episode. I did my homework, obviously, uh, of doing this, but I didn't do my homework when I'm recording this uh, intro. It was, I believe it was episode 62, and it was in June of 2021, almost two years ago, that I saw a post from a wonderful friend, Jamie Gruber, and he talked about that he's leaving his multiple six-figure six um, salary job. I think it was in insurance and he was going full-time into the business and he was, um, you know, leaving his job in essence. And that's what a lot of people do is that a lot of people sit there and go, I want to fire my boss. I want to leave my job. And, and at that time, we told the story of his thought process and what led him up to that decision. Now, a lot of times when you hear podcasts and you hear that and you go, wow, what a fantastic story. That was wonderful. Geez, I wonder whatever happened too. So, you know, I circle back to Jamie and it is two years later and we told the next part of the story. We, you know, he made a big giant life decision about leaving his job. He actually made very shortly after that, made another big giant decision about potentially moving to another country for a period of time. And we share a lot about that as well. We share an awful lot about um, um, his initiatives, 
we talk a lot about um, some of the things he's doing within real estate. We talk a lot about how do you find, you know, your lane and your um, items of brilliance and you just stick to it. And then the one big thing that you might take away from this, if you're in that camp of you maybe wanting to leave your job, um, firing your boss, pay attention to the three must-haves that you need to have in place. This is according to Jamie, the three must-haves you need to have in place in order for you to confidently and competently um, fire your boss and move on from a job, move on to a career and go full-time into the business. This is a very deep episode. Jamie and I go really in-depth. We get even to a, a little a little side tangent about um, something he's doing from him, uh, on himself from a health perspective not going to give away any of the details of what he's doing there. But one of the key things that I took away from that part of that conversation about what he's doing on his health is by going all in on just one thing, right? And there were some huge lessons that he shared on his entrepreneurial journey that will directly translate to where you are in your entrepreneurial journey here as well. Okay, gang, with all that being said, please help me welcome to the podcast once again, Mr. Jamie Gruber. Jamie Gruber, how are you today, my brother? You're looking looking fine, looking high and tight. Got the got the got the fresh towel out this morning for for the for the for this uh, interview. And you know, I, I often make the joke is you know, blade or razor. Has, has anything changed, my brother? No. Well, first off, I, I'm trying to look as scholarly as you. Like you've got, I've got the the shadow, as do you. But yours is that sort of professorial white shadow, five o'clock shadow. You got the polo shirt. I, you know, I do need to level it up. Wow. Uh, I do a, um, I don't know what they call those, like the Norelco, the circles that shave you kind of thing. I just do that. I, I'm probably irritating the hell out of my skin, but that's all I do yep. every other day or so. Well, I often make the joke is, you know, if you want to come for good hair grooming tips, you always come to my to my podcast, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Smart. one thing I do when, when I do shave in the shower and I, I make the joke is some of I have my, some of my best thoughts while in the shower is because I don't have anything else to do. I don't have hair to shampoo or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. So I actually have a lot of good thinking time. Do you do a lot of your big decisions made in the shower? No, no. I, I, I Showers are in and out for me. Like you said, I, I, I haven't used a bottle of shampoo in a decade. So... <laughs> Showers are in and out for me. I do a lot of my thinking time um, in quarterly increments. I do a, a weekend away, a solo weekend. So I take that time for me over three days to really dive deep. Not that I don't think any other time or, but I've tried all the other hacks, the Keith Cunningham scheduled thinking time every week. And I just, I can't seem to stick to it. But one thing I do is when I book a hotel once a quarter to go think, dive in and get clarity on whatever I'm intending to get clarity on for that weekend. Honestly, that's where I come up with my best thoughts. Oh, wow. That's that's great advice. Now, now, gang, just as an FYI, now, Jamie and I are just jumping right into the deep end of the pool here. <laughs> um, if, you, if the name Jamie Gruber sounds a little bit familiar, if you're on my podcast, if you go back to episode number 62, that's over 100 plus episodes ago, and it wow. was almost exactly two years to the month 
that we recorded our, our this the previous episode. And what I wanted to do is, first of all, I wanted to just catch up with Jamie. I wanted to find out what he's going on. He's like the, one of the most interesting people out there of what he's what he's always got cooking. And uh, more importantly, he at that time of June 2021 made a huge announcement, made a huge declaration, and made a huge uh, life decision. Now, for those of uh, people that maybe aren't familiar with episode 62, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But Jamie, what was the Coles notes of July, June 2021 for you? Oh, man. So I had just a couple of months before that had left my day job. So I, I was uh, an executive with a large insurance company in the States. And after 21 years with that company, bouncing around a little bit, moving up the ladder, making a few hundred grand a year, equity the whole nine. I, uh, I made the decision to walk away from it in pursuit of, I would say what I feel like is purpose in pursuit of, you know, exploring my gifts in, in pursuit of, I guess, optimizing the life that I envisioned myself having if I just lean in and believe in what I think I'm capable of. Well, I mean, it wasn't podcast and riches wasn't that that you you were just leaning into the whole world of just put a podcast out in the world and all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars in brand deals and all those kind of things would come your way no actually we're coming up on episode 300 funny you say that and um i would say yeah look there's definitely strategies with monetization but the growth of a podcast is a lot of work and I find myself looking at other podcasts going like, wow, man, I want to be at that level. I think of Chris Williamson. I think of, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan is an obvious one. Tim Ferriss, some of the other big ones that are out there, Lewis House. And what you realize after you take a second and look at what they've done is they've been relevant and big for a couple of years, but that they're like on episode 1500, <laughs> you know, like it's, it is a long-term commitment. Typically, there's always a unicorn. But it is a long-term commitment typically to build a podcast. And we're getting some traction. We're getting some, some legacy, some you know credibility, if you will, out there. So I'm starting to attract bigger and better guests. But yeah, I mean, the podcast is a passion. I see a lot of value in what it is. I think more people should have one. I think we're only at the beginning. I could share this stat, to be honest with you, if it, yeah, if please, it helps. Because I know a lot, of, a lot of people like think podcasts are oversaturated. But it's something to the effect of, I think it's like 31% of adults in the United States have listened to at least one podcast episode, one, or have listened to one podcast episode or more. So only a third of the United States market has actually heard a podcast. Contrast that with South Korea, they're over 70%. Now, age of demo, age demographics and other factors may, may, may play in there. But there is a lot of room to grow in the podcasting realm as far as listenership. And even in that respect, the the podcast world is so much more than the tried and true, put up a show, try to develop a whole bunch of uh, listeners so that you can monetize those listeners. There's so many other strategies you can implement. I'm not even doing, but that you can, that I've learned about in the podcasting space. I mean, you can make money so many different ways. Yep. Well, and just not even pod, um, monetization aside, one of the things that I find is um, if I get a really interest in something that I want to learn about. I just find a whole bunch of people that are either have a podcast or have been on podcasts 
And then I just dive in and I interview them and I get to, I get this wonderful opportunity of sitting down with an hour with somebody who's an expert in the field. And, and I just ask, you know, sorry, if I'm being selfish, I ask my own selfish questions of, of what I want to learn about. Uh, like, you know, if I want to go learn on YouTube, I go find a YouTube expert and I go, how do you build out your YouTube channel? Please. I'm all, all ears. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that with my audience all at the yeah. same time. Cause it's of interest to me too. Okay. Yeah. There's a, a, a great Canadian named Evan Carmichael. Yep. Are you familiar with him? Well, he's got beautiful hair, like a beautiful head of hair, like uh, two people I'm seeing right here. So he does. He does. I had him at an event. Uh, you know, we've become connected. I wouldn't call us, you know, great friends. He's, you know, he's doing bigger things than I am at this point. But uh, I learned from him this, this notion, what you just described, right? So you can have a podcast where you're inviting on people, let's call it a business development show. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you have a brand or you have a, a, a specialty around, say, capital raising like you do, uh, Russell, or whatever. I know that's one of the things that you're great at. And so rather than go and try to uh, talk to people about raising capital, which can feel salesy sometimes or whatever, you can invite somebody onto a podcast to talk about their business. And then you do. You talk about their business for a, an extended period of time. And at a certain point, say two-thirds of the way through the episode, you can state something to the effect of, in capital raising, I've always found that what I do great with is X. How do you do that? That person is either going to respond with a really, really good answer, or they're going to stumble a little bit on that answer. And that's okay. You just sort of move past it for them. You don't want to make them look silly. But you do that once a week with a target, target guest, somebody that's a potential client. Once a week, that's 52 touches. Some of those, 15, 20, once you're done recording, you're going to say, hey, go back. What did you say you do again? How do you, how do you help people with raising capital? What, what, what does that look like? That's a business development show. The audience doesn't even matter whether you have one or not. Your target audience is your guest who's on a podcast. Not that you're trying to trick them, but it is a podcast you're going to release and there's an audience out there that's going to listen to it. But you're talking to them about them, letting them tell their story explaining what you do and asking them a question in that realm. And if it if it's a matter of, you know, you throwing out the reel and they come in, more power to you. Yeah, That's another I, strategy in podcasting oh, I've learned. I hear you. Oh, and Jamie. Oh, brother. Woo I was waiting for these. Well, you know, for these. And I need bombs. There bombs are raining left, right, and center here. So often I've had people that have been repeat guests or people looking for, well, how many, Russ, I need lots of bombs here because I, I have to make sure it, it, it's a, it's one. a, I should have a little uh, check mark at every time you get one or you, another one goes on there. It's a competition, right? I got it in my head right now. Yeah. I know how many I've got so far and I'll be counting for the rest of the time we're together. Okay, good. Uh, okay, yeah, I 100% agree. And then even another strategy that I use, and it happened by accident in many cases, was so like I have a certain area where I like to invest in it. And I've done my own research till the cows came home. I've been doing this for 23 years. I, I know when I see an opportunity when it's starting to form in an area. But after a while, maybe some people just tune you out of, well, yeah, that's just Russ saying maybe he's got an investment to sell there or something like that. I go, no, I, I, gang, this is, I, this is what I'm seeing. So what I went out and I found other experts that uh, to tell the same story. And it's not coming from me anymore. It's coming from a research expert. It's coming from an economist. It's coming from the economic development officer. It's coming from this other person that said the exact same thing I've been saying for two years. And then all of a sudden now people go, oh, well, it must be true now <laughs> because it was somebody else that was saying it. So I love that. Yeah. I and, love that. Yeah. And it just, you just find something. And I, I encourage people all the time. Like, for example, if you want to invest in, let's pick a Cleveland, Ohio, 
Um, pick somebody who's bought 100 places in Cleveland, Ohio. Pick the mayor of Cleveland. Pick the economic development officer. Pick the chamber of commerce. Pick a whole bunch of things. And you can have a, literally a five to 10 part video series of doing a podcast on just why Cleveland, Ohio is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And oh, lo and behold, you have an investable opportunity in Cleveland, Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. There is a lot of power in the medium. Uh, it's more than just put up podcast and hope you become Joe Rogan. I mean, that is obviously would be amazing, but there's so many different ways that you can leverage a podcast. And, and if nothing else, you just said it. You can add a ton of value through this medium. I, I look at these as modern day business cards podcasts, right? Like you don't, nobody hands out business cards anymore. And in order to do something like raise capital, you know, uh, put together a deal or whatever, you need people to know, like, and trust you. And that often takes six plus touches for that to happen. So I've learned my, my downline through the podcast, I've seen this happen is, Hey, I, I found you on the podcast. You were really interesting. I kind of liked, I like your podcast. I like how you interview people. That led to me wanting to jump into your community. So I joined your community. And then now I'm I'm leveraging what I've learned in your community to, to build myself some capital. I've got this money I got to invest. Where do I invest? Oh, well, I know you. I like you. I've been listening to you and I've been part of your community. So I'm going to invest my money with you. And I I can I can point to, I mean, multiple people, one of which just put, I don't know, half a million dollars in two deals in that exact pipeline. Podcast into my community and then said, hey, you know what? I've got access to funds that I invest and I'd like to invest it with you because I know I can trust you. So there's a lot, a lot of benefit to putting yourself out there and sharing through this medium. No, I 100% agree. Um, I had somebody now, I, it's funny, I can't seem to find where this stat is anymore. I think they've changed the analytics a little bit, but I had once a podcast consultant that told me on average over a 60 day period, my average listener listens just shy of four hours over 60 days to my podcast. And I go, I, I go, is that good? He goes, he goes, Ross, <laughs> for almost four, three, four hours of them listening to you. Some yeah. people don't even talk to their spouses that much <laughs> in a two month period. And I go, okay, well, but then, and then he said another thing that was just drove, it was just nailed the point home for me was a lot of people they listen to with earbuds in while they're doing something else. And that is a very intimate listening experience. Like literally you're in somebody's ears. And if they're spending four hours every two months with you of that, that is a very, he said two things. It goes, number one, that is a relationship you need to always honor, cherish, be grateful for, never take advantage of. And number mm. two, that's that's actually huge if you can get that. Even if you don't have a large listenership, if you have a deep listenership that, can, that goes into everything, um, you have a very viable business as well. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, you know, we're always shooting for the bigger number, many downloads we can get, the most downloads, the most listens. But you're right. I've been, I've had this experience since uh, Tribe of Millionaires is uh, part of the GoBundance community. My podcast is the sort of the marketing front of this mastermind group, and I've I've been at events for GoBundance, and there's about a thousand members of GoBundance or so. So it's I don't know everybody, but I'll go to the gym at five or six in the morning, and inevitably, almost every time this happens, somebody comes over. Like in mid-workout, like I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm I'm literally like you're in my ear, right? It's so trippy. You're right here right now, and then you're right there right now. It's so cool. And then we, you know, strikes up a good guy. But you're right. It isn't, it is very intimate. It's like, oh my God, it's like like I I 
I didn't know you were real. I thought you were only here and you know, this, this voice in my head, so to speak. So yep. that's very cool. I like that. Congrats to you too, brother. That's well, amazing. Well, thank, well, you know, I'm, I'm the, the one thing that somebody told me, the same consultant told me when I got started was that uh, if I'm going to do it, um, make sure that I commit at least three years. It has to be, if you don't, if you're not prepared to put three years in, don't do it. Like don't even, Great don't advice. even bother starting. And I'm proud to say this July 2nd of this year, 2023 will be three years and it snuck up on me. I'm going to have to. And then I said, at, after three years, I'm going to reiterate and figure out what's the next step and where we take right, it. But you're like next. two weeks from that. So yeah. do you have a sense of what you're, are you, or is, is this like the second to last episode of the we're, we're, Russell Westcott podcast? It's it. We're done after this as we end on a high note, brother. That's it. No. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, here's the thing is, I finally after, and here's a, a revelation, after three years of doing this, and 100, it'll be in 170 episodes by then, I'm, uh, I finally have gotten down to a workflow that just is manageable. Like, it, honestly, ta it takes just some whole pile of time of just the process to figure out the process before you reiterate and take it up to the next level, right? That's a great point. So I'm curious. And, and on a in a week, you release one episode. It's it's on average it, one little more than one a week. But that's typically over the three years. It'll be one a week. Yes, one a week. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the the time in and the time out. You've got that systematized down. So outside of recording right now for an hour, how much time are you spending on the podcast? That's from editing to whatever, pulling in guests the whole night. Well, you know, for example, let's take this example for you and I. You and I, it just literally was a text message back and forth. Are you game for, are you down to do another one? So it didn't take much time for that. We scheduled something. I have an automated process for the appointment, the scheduling, Zooms. I try to get my recording pretty dialed in that when I'm done, um, let's say we're done in an hour and 20 minutes, uh, half an hour later, I could have a finished episode to go online and a half an hour later. So potentially getting down to on a one person show doing most of the work could get it under two hours per episode. Total episode Total. recording, Total. everything two hours. Yeah. Now it all, a lot of that happens that depend, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful person with you that you have good audio and a good microphone and you're, and you're doing things. So the post editing process will be really quite, sure. quite easy. Sometimes some people's is holy macaroni. We have to, <laughs> the team or myself have to put an awful lot of processing in to make something sound reasonably good. You have uh, intros and outros and bumpers and maybe a, a, a tip that goes in the middle and you have just kind of a, a workflow. Yeah, you, I potentially could get it into under two to three hours, including I recording. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Like, so the reason I wanted to ask you that is, you know, we're, I know we're going to talk more about other topics, but this is a, a passion point of mine. There's so many ways to do this. There's so many ways to do this. Like for me personally... That to me would be, well, and you know, honestly, it's depending on what you want to be and what you identify as. So if somebody listening is saying, I really like this podcasting thing, like how do I make a go of it? There's two different ways, right? So Russell, what you're doing is you're using the podcast as a way to serve an audience you've built through a community and course and curriculum that you've created over time, right? Tell me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's a fairly... Well, that is 100% that is, but but the more deeper intention is a purpose and the, the purpose is that i've been blessed by amazing mentors and guides and coaches throughout my life it's it's my obligation to share what i've learned and people who i know and my pardon the old term a rolodex who are people who sure. i know it's my obligation to share that with the next generation of people coming i like along. that, that yeah. that's a better way to lead in you're right absolutely yeah. and i agree with you this is you don't hit 
three years of recording episodes if you don't feel like you're delivering something for people. Whether or not you are, you don't know, but you don't you don't do this that long if it doesn't if it doesn't speak to something inside of you. But I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. And this is what I just wanted to speak to. So I am probably, I don't know, 10 to 30 hours a week um, into each episode. I do two episodes a week. One of them is a little bit more systematized down. There's certain questions. It's a, kind of a member profile. But the other episode, uh, the guest profile that I go for is, you know, Pro Bowl athlete, uh, influencer, New York Times bestseller. So for instance, I'm interviewing a guy named Sebastian Younger tomorrow. Uh, he's written a bunch of books, one of which is called A Perfect Storm, Mark Wahlberg movie from years and years ago. So he wrote that book and he's written a bunch of books since then. But for a guest like that, I'm reading two to three books. I'm listening to a couple of TED Talks. I'm going to podcasts or interviews that he's been on. He's been on Rogan. He's been on some other ones that I'll I'll listen in on. So I mean, right there, the Joe Rogan is a two-hour commitment of time, maybe with double speed. I get it down to an hour and a half or so. Or so. Um, but the the point is like, you can do this so many different ways. That's what I love about podcasting. It's like going to Vegas. People think gambling is Vegas, right? Just like people think, oh, there's so many ways to do Vegas. I don't gamble when I go to Vegas. I go to Vegas. What I do is we go to dinners. We do the clubs. We do the pools. We might go do a show. You can go do all the mafia tours and the pawn shop tours. You can go out and do the, the outdoorsy stuff, right? Like there's so many different ways that you can do something like a Vegas. And it really is a matter of who are you and what lights you up. You go do that. And it's the same thing in the podcasting space. Like I love, 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 love doing the work and the research. But for a lot of people, they're saying, I don't mind doing that. But what I want to do is what you just said. I want to bring in people in my niche that are interesting, that I could deliver a great product to. And there's ways of doing that in concert with your business, which you're doing that are of high value. And you could do it efficiently and effectively. You know, yep. I could probably still gain some efficiency. I'm yep. <laughs> I'm not the best with efficiency, but well, that's I, don't know. I just the, thought that was a great discussion. A little bit of the intersection that I'm at right now. And that's kind of at that three-year mark of that I have to give a consideration is do I want to invest the 10 to 30 hours a week into it? And don't say there's nothing wrong without it. Or do I want to keep it what it's at? Yeah. And I'm having the intersection I'm having is a little bit of um, I have some invest investment opportunities that have just represented to me um, that I haven't seen in 20 years of doing this. And I'd be a fool wow. not to take advantage of it. And that's why I'm just trying to fill the boat as much as I can. And I have to just sit there, go all these other things have to fit within my investing. Right. Because that's first and foremost, I'm a real estate investor and I eat what I cook and I, I'm also a coach and a podcaster. But at the same time, you have you have to eat what you cook in order to have the the, the in order to have the chops to be able to share with what you're with everybody else. You have to be able to do it at the same time. Credibility. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, completely agree. Well, I'm, we're going to come back to the podcasting a little bit more at the end because you've had such incredible guests and I want to I want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the lessons you've learned from some of them or maybe how you've brought people on um but we're we're going to circle back to our original start of the conversation but before we do did did I read something correct that you've been on an all meat diet for the like last like 40 70 days or something ridiculous like that a little over 40 now yeah call it carnivore it's not necessarily all meat oh sorry okay the lion diet i posted i posted i've been only eating meat just to simplify right but it is technically carnivore so uh, animal products so eggs butter uh meats chickens uh uh a chicken i should say shrimp seafood you can eat that sort of stuff but my daily diet for the most part has been 3 to 4 eggs in the morning uh a ribeye for lunch and some other meat 
for dinner. Like it could be a could be another ribeye, it could be a burger patty, something like that. So yeah, I've been I've been doing that for yeah about 40, 45 days, and I'm just now starting to kind of tweak and play with it a little bit, but it's been interesting. How how what are the results been? So it's funny. This is such a great lesson in entrepreneurship for me, and I it's, I posted about this, hoping to 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 share the entrepreneurial lesson, but it became a vegan versus carnivore debate, which I guess is to be expected. But the lessons I learned with this, I, I've had these objectives for a while, these these sort of fringe objectives that I've wanted to achieve. It's like, man, I, I got this stubborn like five to seven pounds, this last five to seven pounds I feel like that get that's I'm away from my ideal weight. Just want to drop that. Everybody knows you can drop a lot of weight when you're when you're heavier. I've done that in the past. But when you get down to that last few pounds, it's a little harder. But I wanted to drop those. I wanted my energy to be up. I didn't want to crash the up, the down. I didn't want to have to crave coffee or a pre-workout supplement in the morning. I just wanted to have energy, right? I wanted to keep my energy up, lose the weight. And I wanted to build, build some muscle, you know, and the other parts of it, I've always said is like, I'd love to remove like sugar and just processed foods. Like if I could just get rid of sugar or whatever. And what I learned was that I was always operating on multiple plans for multiple different objectives. And when I would say something like, okay, I can eat everything except sugar. The reticular activating system in my brain doesn't hear the modifier, just hears sugar. It's like an echo, right? It's like, I want to eat everything but sugar, 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 sugar. And that's all I was looking for. It felt like I eat more sugar every time I set the intention not to eat sugar. I hope that makes sense. So when I when I said to myself, all right, look, I, I've learned of this carnivore diet. I had some guests on, like you said, from the podcast. I learned in, in a lot about it. I did a lot of reading. I listened to a few different episodes of different podcasts about it. And I told myself, all right, only meats, only animal products. So not not sugar. Instead, it's only meats and animal products. And by zeroing in on this like very narrow focus of what I can eat, one, I didn't crave the other stuff. Not really. I mean, I'm sure if I saw a cake, like, oh, it looks good. But it wasn't the craving and the feeling I had before when I was saying not sugar because I told my brain and everything I am that I'm only eating these things. It was really easy not to eat everything else as opposed to focusing on everything and then just not eating this. And all of the results that I sought, I lost seven pounds. I've gained muscle. I have more energy, ridiculous energy. I mean, more, I'm trying to keep my cadence slow right now for the purposes of digesting this podcast, but it doesn't stop. In fact, it can impede my sleep. My energy has been ridiculous starting around day 12 of this diet, and I can explain why if you need me to. Um, I haven't eaten any sugar. I haven't had any processed foods. All of the things that I set all these little plans on, and I tried to move the needle and, and stay, stay kind of on the fringe and take care of these things, all went away with extreme focus on one objective. That's what I really got from the carnivore diet more than anything is the understanding of Pareto's principle in depth that 20% of your actions garner 80% of your results. When I, in this realm, was the exact opposite. I was taking 80% actions that were getting me 20% results. And it's an incredible feeling to say, wow, I've, I've done this diet and here's the results of it. I'm still monitoring blood blood, uh, blood work and all of that. I mean, I, you know, I might come off of it in a month. I don't know. But the point is, I was able to focus in, not cheat at all, stay on this diet. I love meat. I love meat. I'll respond to vegans if you need me to in a second too. So it, it hasn't gotten old for me. I, I can eat some chicken or whatever if I feel like meat is getting or steak is getting a little bit old. But overall, that's the bigger lesson I got was with extreme focus come the results that you want. And I'm really now trying to apply that in my day life, in my day-to-day -day life, in my business. Wow. You, you, you've taken the Pareto principle of 20% produce 80%. And then you actually drilled down into the 20% and took the 20% of the 20% and the 20%, the 20%, you came up with one thing within, yeah. within your health optimization, energy, 
you know, weight, you know, those kind of things too. So it's just, yeah, wow. That's huge. Hang on a sec. What am I doing? Sleeping at the switch here, my brother. Sleeping at the Light switch. Light number it. two? Yes, number two. I got dos, two. Dos, dos. Dos. Yes, very good. So uh, you you also, when you made that decision in 2021, no, sorry, I'm going to close the loop. You did come back. You, vegans. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, and you've had some, have you had some negativity around what you've shared with people as well? Yeah. And honestly, it, it gives me it gives me even more clarity on who I am and what I'm trying to do and who I'm becoming as an entrepreneur. But yeah, I mean, I, the inundation of emails and posts and text and DMs or whatever from the vegans out there about what I'm doing and being uh, on a carnivore diet being unhealthy for me. I love the I, I really do. I love the self-righteous aspect of this, especially it's concern for my health. It's concern for my health, Russell. When what I really learn is these folks are coming at me with different agendas, right? So concern for my health, if there's somebody out there that truly has that concern for my health, I haven't heard from them. What I have heard from, though, are people that are activists around animal cruelty, which I get, are activists around environmental uh, issues that they feel are driven by the carnivore diet. It's just, it's it blows my mind. It, it stokes my inner defiance. I've said I actually just wrote a newsletter. Like somewhere buried deep inside of me is sort of an anarchist meets uh, an insult comic, right? Like that's authentic me, and this vegan thing is bringing it out of me. I've learned that there are two types of people in the world. There are those who need you to comply with their worldview, otherwise you're not as good as them. And there's those that say, "Leave me the f alone. You do you." I tend to go with that camp. I tend to go on this side of things, and I've noticed that in the world of food. The vegan is more the one who needs you to comply, and the carnivore is more the one that says, leave me the F alone. But let me present this to the vegans. May I? Please, please do. If there's one grass-fed cow that I eat, I that, that animal is raised to be slaughtered, right? And that grass-fed cow, unless it steps on a snail, is only dying. It's the only animal that's going to die. And that one cow could feed me for a, a year and a half. A year and a half could feed me if I froze the meat and all of that stuff, right? One cow. Contrast that with one salad sitting on somebody's table right now where a rototiller went through and churned up every turtle, shrew, mole, salamander, the things you don't care about, killed all of them so that you could eat a few leafy greens and some hummus or whatever the hell it is you eat, right? This idea, and it goes through everything. Oh, electric cars are better. Are they or are they when they're manufactured? Are they as dirty as it is to manufacture an, a gas-powered automobile? Like This idea that there's a an outcome that is so perfect that it has zero consequence or zero malady whatsoever associated with it is absolutely ludicrous. And I'm finding with my vegan friends out there, and I love you all, I love most of you, I'm finding with my vegan friends out there that they're blind to this idea, and instead they want to push, they want to push me away from meat, not because of my health, but because they perceive what I'm doing to be in some way, shape, or form against an activist slant around the environment or animal cruelty or whatever it might be. Cows are going to fart. Sorry, they go into the environment. We have methane. It is what it is. But my vegan friends have definitely opened up something in me. But what's great is it's allowing some authenticity to come out. Because at the end of the day, I've noticed about me that I've been sort of careful to stay within these walls. Don't want to be canceled by anybody. Don't want to offend. Don't want to do any of that stuff. And you know what? It's inauthentic. And one of the three human needs that we have is to be authentic. One, we want to be competent in what we do. Competent in what we do. We want to be authentic. And we need to have a connection with a community. Those are the three things human beings need, right? So my authenticity accelerated significantly quitting my day job, no doubt about it. But 
I'm at a point in time where I do feel like I could take it another level. And I want to be thankful to my vegan friends for maybe opening this up in me a little bit. But that's my feeling about the responses I've got. Uh, every one of them start with, I don't want to be that vegan, but I'm going to be that vegan. So it's been a very interesting time for me. Love you, vegans. Yeah. Love you. Well, it's, it's interesting is sometimes everybody just wants everything to be so binary. Either it's on or it's off. It's good or it's bad. And maybe that's just how people, you know, see things. And that's how people can feel, you know, that wholeness on things that there has to be. If what I do is good, then the person who does the opposite is bad. And, and gang... Yeah. You know, these things don't have to live in isolation. You can have multiple things occur at the same time and it can still all come out and it still could all be good all at the same time. You, you can stand on both sides of any issue and see both sides of it. I understand why vegans are vegans. I get it. I understand the health benefits of it. There's also a lot of studies done on how meat is not as dangerous as we once said. Anybody would admit that saturated fat today is not held in the same way as it was 20 years ago. Cholesterol research is, continues to evolve on whether or not cholesterol is truly bad or just kind of a byproduct of who we are. There's a lot of stuff that evolves. Vaccines. Come on. Three years ago, the vaccine was if you don't get it today, a lot of people are regretting getting it. You know, so there's there's always evolution on positions. And when people just anchor in on one, no matter what side, carnivore, this, that or the other. That's okay. But when you go after others for not also seeing your worldview in the way that it is and aligning with it and saying, yes, I am with you, that's where I have a problem. Yeah. Well, and we're recording this right during a time when they're, you know, if anybody's been on Twitter, and I'm going to date this when we're recording it, but if anybody's ever been on Twitter of late, uh, there's a big storm brewing about with Joe Rogan and he had um, Robert R.F. Oh, our, oh, Robert Kennedy, Robert yeah, Kennedy yeah. Jr. on there, and then all of a sudden, it's just opened up a whole can of worms. And it needed I think, to be. The, and, the and can they, needed to be open. So go ahead. I'm it sorry. did, and and they were sitting there going, "Well, let's have a debate about. It. Let's let's get right. on and let's have a conversation." And I think they, I think the pot's up to like two point six million dollars pot to a to charity to come on and have a debate about. And and here's the thing, gang: is it somebody doesn't have to be wrong and somebody doesn't have to be right. It's but I yeah. think it's it's beneficial to at least have the conversation about it. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I want to make sure this is relatable, right? Like this isn't a political show. I know that I'm not trying to get political. The point I'm making is simply when you relate it to, to the world of entrepreneurship in my space, entrepreneurship includes branding yours as well. Mm -hmm. And branding comes with making sure that you are being, I guess, authentic and real to the core audience that you have. It's the idea that you are going to attract as much as you are going to repel, but you staying in the safe middle on what you feel, what you think, what you believe, what you what you think is best for your audience or the people that are that have been following you, that's not the best and highest use of you as an entrepreneur. That's not the best and highest use of you as a brand. Yep. So that's how I relate that discussion point. I know it was like a more of maybe a left-right rant. No, I but. get it. But, you know, just a little closer to home here, and, and this is something you're very well aware of as well, is um, right now in more so, in, uh, probably in the U.S., I don't follow as close as I do in Canada, but within Canada, um, landlords and people, rent I call them rental housing providers as a better term to use, better language, RHPs. rental like housing it. providers. Um, are getting a bad rep out there and they're being blamed for unaffordability of rents and they're getting blamed for all these kind of things. And and somebody who's taken an awful lot of risk to do this is getting um, becoming a villain in yeah. this case as well. Um, and I just, funny, I just read a report today that talked about, and they did a case study on, I think it was in 
Holland, I might get it wrong where it was, that they literally made renting illegal. They made it illegal that somebody could not rent something out. And then they did a study on it and they found out that rents did not go down. As a matter of fact, rents went up because nobody was buying the housing to then rent to other people. So the supply of housing was lower and there was actually fewer people. So the, actually the, the price of housing, uh, the, the price of rentals went up over a period of time as well. So... Thank nope. God for Holland doing that yeah. and putting it out there. Honestly, like I thank God a, a, a larger nation like a Canada, the U.S. or somewhere in the U.S. didn't think to do that because that is exactly you're constraining supply. When yep. you constrain supply, demand goes up. When demand goes up, prices go up. I, you know, that stuff just drives me nuts. Yeah. But, you know, first and foremost, one of the reasons how we you and I met, that's, you know, you're a real estate investor for uh, not mm -hmm. first and foremost. There's many things you got your finger in, but you do invest in real estate. You do raise capital for projects. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, so I am going to ask a question and I am going to circle back to our original conversation. So when you left your work. I don't think you would announce that you were also moving at the same time too, but you've also, you've left your job and you actually left the country in, in a lot of respects. So maybe fill that story in a little bit for everybody. I sure hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we jump back to the conclusion, our strategic partners from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another important mortgaging tip. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in today's episode, I would like to share with you some of the common misconceptions about financing. Today, we will discuss mortgages for self-employed clients. Some self-employed clients believe that they cannot get a mortgage until they have completed two years in business and have paid themselves through the business for two years to qualify for a mortgage. This is not entirely true. Let me explain. If you are a self-employed client, you actually have several options when it comes to mortgage financing. Option number one is to qualify with the banks. This option gives you the best financing terms with respect to rates, amortization, and down payment. For that, the banks need to see that you have been in business for at least two years and that you have paid yourself enough from the business over the two years to qualify for the mortgage. In addition, they want to see that you do not have any taxes owing to Revenue Canada. Paying yourself from the business can be in many forms, including T4 income, dividends, or a combination of the two. And that is if you're incorporated. If you are a sole proprietor, they would look at net business income. Over the two years, if your most recent income is greater than the previous year, they would average the two. And if your most recent year is less than the previous year, they will take the lower of the two. So that's the option with the banks. Option number two is also with the banks. However, there are programs on the street that will supplement your personal income that you're paying yourself from the business with some of the business income. So say, for example, that you are incorporated and that you need a $120,000 to qualify for the mortgage and that you've been paying yourself from the business consistently $100,000 in the form of dividends. Now, what they'll do is they're going to look into 
your business financials and they're going to um, take a percentage of the profit that the business has earned over the two years so they can add that to your personal income to help you qualify. Again, this prog program is not available with all banks, but it is out there with some of the banks. The third option is to qualify with an alternative lender or what's called a B lender. B lenders are more flexible when it comes to income for self-employed clients compared to the banks, but they charge you a higher interest rate and they also charge something called a lender fee. Their interest rates generally are one to one and a half percent higher than the bank rates and their lender fee is around one percent of the loan amount. The beauty, however, about the B lenders is that they work with what's called stated income, meaning they do not need to see that you have filed your tax returns or that you're paying yourself uh, income from the business on your T1 generals. Instead, they review your business bank account statements and they will gauge how much money you earn by the revenue deposits in that account as well as the business expenses. There will always be a trade-off when it comes to mortgages for self-employed clients. With the banks, you will get better terms, but you'll have to pay yourself enough from the business to qualify and therefore your personal tax bill will be higher. While with the B lenders, your mortgage rate will be higher, but you can qualify without paying yourself as much from the business. The key thing is to make an informed decision, you need to sit down with your mortgage broker and plan the optimal amount of income needed to qualify for the mortgages you wanna qualify for and to discuss your goals and to work out what that income looks like and then to engage your accountant in the conversation to make a final decision around how much you need to pay yourself from the business to qualify. If you are currently self-employed with a B lender and you are looking for cheaper options when it comes to mortgage financing, or if you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to understand your options as a self-employed client or plan your income to qualify for the best terms, our team at Streetwise Mortgages would be happy to assist you. Contact us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. I did. The That was a year lag, but before I left, so in order to do something like walk away from a multi-hundred thousand dollar year job with a stay-at-home wife and two young kids, you have to have a vision. You got to have something that you're anchored into. And my vision, dumbing it down or or, or uh, condensing it down to, to a sentence was, I want to create a life where I can travel with my family three months plus wherever I want to go. And when you state that and believe that and you become aligned with that vision, and then you look at your current circumstance and say, it's not possible in my current circumstance, that disconnect happens, right? You kind of break, your identity breaks away and starts going in a different direction. So as I got eventually to the point that I quit my job and then felt my way into what post W2, which is the US version of, uh, I don't know what it is in Canada, but post job life was all about, you know, I, I got to a point where it's like, okay, we're eight, nine months in. I'm actually, I should do it. All right. I'm actually between my, what I do with real estate, what I do with the podcast and sort of the, the downline of monetization from that. I'm actually doing pretty good here. So maybe time to execute on that idea or that vision of travel three months with my family, anywhere we want to go. So last January, actually two Januaries ago, I guess it would have been 2020. What are we in? 23? So 2022. <laughs> um, yeah, January 2022. My wife, kids, and I went to the Dominican Republic for a month. 
spent a month down here. And my wife originally being from here, we spent half the time uh, at a resort and half the time with some extended family. So she immigrated when she was, I don't know, 12 to Boston. That's where I met her. So, But she still has a bunch of extended family down here, aunts, uncles, that sort of thing. So once we were here in January and we saw our sons playing with their, what would be their cousins and, you know, there's a language barrier, but they're still playing and having fun running around at her uncle's ranch. It was like, what if we did this for a year or a while, we might've said. So come August, so eight months later, seven months later, you know, with a lot of thought and planning and everything else, we ended up making the move. We we rented our house. We rent our house uh, to like call it midterm rental to uh, uh, people who are out of their home for for some reason. It could be a fire insurance loss, flood, something like that. Could be they're having work done on their house for a month or two when they need, you know, they need a place to stay that's fully furnished, Wi-Fi's on, electric and gas are all turned on, all of that stuff. And we've had no vacancy in a year. We're almost a year in August it'll be. So for us, it was, how do we do this? So we, we did, we, we made the move down. We rented a house down here. Uh, we put our kids in a local school in a Montessori school down here in uh, Punta Cana. So that's kind of the main, Punta Cana is like the main tourist hub of, of the Dominican Republic. And we've done a lot of travel in the country. We've, we've checked a lot of things out. My kids both speak Spanish. We were just in the car coming back from a seven hour drive yesterday to the Northern part of the country. And I recorded it. My two kids and my wife were literally having a full conversation in Spanish, which was really cool. Like I got some of it, but not to the level they do. They they were talking about you, Jamie, by the way. Probably, probably. <laughs> I, when, I, when, when I hear Blanco and Gringo, I know they're talking about <laughs> Bronco and Gringo? Is that okay? Bronco, the white. Yeah, the yeah. white. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um Okay, so now I know you're 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 very big on on measurement of metrics and things like that. Like you're you're one of the you and Michael Bug and the people I know. You guys are like track things down to the to the nth degree and you have reporting every quarter and stuff like that. So if you were to sit back and know it's almost exactly two years. For you, what are some of the biggest lessons you've taken away? Sorry, biggest lessons you've taken away of doing this, making this transition in two years. And uh, would you consider yourself further ahead, further behind? If you're just being really honest in self-reflection, how's been the process for you so far? Way further ahead. The way I'm couching that is further ahead than where I thought I might be when I left my job. Doesn't mean I'm, you know, a complete product, never will be but way further ahead than where I projected I would be. I honestly didn't know that I believed that we could make a move like this and sustain it. To be clear, a move to the Dominican Republic comes with about double the expense per month. Like our expenses went up significantly every month. So this isn't one of these, like we're living in a shack uh, and you know we're, we're, we're shopping at the local bodega. We are, we are in an area that charges an 18% sales tax, 10% service charge on all goods. The import costs are pretty high. Our rent on this house is double what our mortgage is. Our cell phone bill is double what it was. Our electric bill is double what it was. So it's an expensive endeavor and we're doing it. We're doing it and we're thriving. We're traveling. So way ahead from a financial perspective, way ahead from a mindset perspective. One of the biggest lessons that I learned, people always want to ask, or they do ask, how do you quit your job? Like, when do you know you're ready to quit? And I've always had these like three things. Hey, okay, I'll give you, like you said, some metrics, two metrics and this other factor or variable on when you're ready to quit. And I say, when you're at a place when you've saved six to 12 months of expenses, you have that in cash, six to 12 months of expenses, not your income, but expenses. And you're in a place as well that you're making, say, 50, maybe it's as high as 75% of your expenses in a side hustle or passive income. So maybe you started a real estate portfolio or you bought a car wash or whatever it is. And you can take 50% of your expense load and pay for that with your side hustle income. Those two variables 
plus this one, you're ready to quit. Third one is you have a belief in whatever it is you've created that it can grow. Those are the three variables. Very easy. Six to 12 months expenses saved, half of your expenses paid by passive or side hustle income, and a belief that you can grow what you've created. Where I would go is I would do it like this. Okay, look, you know, have a year saved and have half your expenses paid. But you have to have, you have to have a belief in what you've created. You, these two are like, if you do them, great. This is the one though. You've got to have a belief in what you're creating. My life post W2 is not this standard structured day-to-day, week-to-week paycheck type of life. I take payments and big distributions, then I don't see a payment for a while. I think something's going to come in and then it doesn't happen. I think this sale or this community or whatever is going to really blow up and then it doesn't really do that, right? There's, there's so much up and down, but without a strong belief in what I'm doing, being highly competent at, me being highly competent at, me having a, accountability and, and being authentic uh, in it, and then having a community of people around me that I feel represent who I'm becoming. Without those variables in place, the savings and the money that I have coming in passively on the side to, to pay for some expenses, it's way less relevant than I made it in the first six months to a year after I left my job. I never had to touch it. I never had to touch it. I never had to touch my, 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 uh, my savings. I never had to dip into my passive income or what I was going to amp up. Like I wasn't taking any passive income from my portfolio when I had my job. I didn't need to. I just roll it back into the property. But then I was like, okay, well, I can carve this out to pay myself. And then I never had to. Now, maybe I'm unique. I don't know. But I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who overly lean, who overemphasize the third part I mentioned, a strong belief in what you have created. That part takes care of the other two. Now, I'm not saying just willy-nilly quit with a big belief. Do your due diligence. That's a lesson I've learned for me. And maybe that's a lesson that you only get once you've proven to yourself that you can actually survive and thrive in a world without your day job. But that's a massive, massive lesson. That belief, you got to be, I saw this post once. It was like, you got to be crazy to be an entrepreneur. You got to be crazy enough to believe that you're going to get paid this month when you're not going to. You got to be crazy enough to believe that you can beat the, the, your bigger competitor when you probably can't. You got to be crazy in so many ways to take a chance on doing your own thing without the cover and the safety of a big company that's going to pay you. So if you don't have that belief, then you're not crazy enough to do it. And I think if I look back and think about my arc of my development as an entrepreneur or somebody outside of his job, that belief is what sustains me. It's not the money in the bank and it's not whatever side hustle income is coming in. Oh, ooh-wee. you're working. You're working hard there, brother. Working hard. It's only free though. I said, oh, well, yeah, wow, we're well, getting there, right? I can, I, I'll, I can always dub a few in at the end there too, right? So... True, true. <laughs> the power you don't like of- to edit, though. You want to be quick to the edit, so I don't want to put more work on you. Well, no, I, I'm. Here's the thing: is it, it's not. It has nothing to do with how many bombs you're dropping. It's how many I'm sleep at the wheel. I'm sitting there going, I'm just on fire myself, and I'm, I'm, I'm. Because, because here's the thing: I, I 100% agree. Everybody needs to have that pragmatic. What's the number? What's the cash yeah. flow? What's the kind of stuff? And I think the, your three pillars you you've broken down is perfect. You have. Um, a portion of it as an income going forward, mm-hmm. a portion of it as cash in the bank. But more importantly is you have a belief that you can do it and you can come back. Because I remember when we first talked about it, um, I believe you had mentioned, said, you know, I could always go back and get a job at the same time. Mm-hmm. So so you you fully didn't burn your boats when you got to the island. But in in many respects, you did. did. Did you not? I did. A friend of mine made the point to me that I kept making that point. Yeah. He's like, you know, you keep saying that. 
I could always go back to my job. Like, I get it. You put yourself out there. What if one day you had to go back and get a job? Now you're going to look like a charlatan. Now you're going to look like a big failure. So you're you're saying, oh, no, 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 no. If, if in a year or six months or a day from now, I have to go back and get a job, I can say, yeah, but see, look, look at, I, I always said I might. So I'm not a failure because I said I might. But what I was really doing was, was keeping a foot on first base, right? You can't steal second when your foot's on first. So I kept my foot there as opposed to getting off the bag and then extending my lead a little bit so that I could take second. That was a massive, massive shift for me. And I've stopped that. Now I say it to other people who need to hear it because again, I understand where I was and where I am. And there's people ahead of me that say things that sound crazy to me, but one day I'll catch up to them and that'll make sense to me at that point. But for somebody who's at the job, when I say to them, okay, can you get your job back? And they say, yeah, yeah, I can. Okay. So the worst case scenario is you quit, doesn't work, and you got to go get your job back. Yes, yeah, worst case scenario. Cool. So right now, you're living your worst case scenario <laughs> that twists people's minds, right? Like, holy crap, I'm, my, my life is my worst case scenario. That's a way that I try to get people around the notion, but I, I leave out there for them. You can always get your job back. You can always go get it back or something close to it, a, a step down, but you'll, you'll be okay. Yep. Yeah. Every, but I don't know if I'm employable anymore. Every, everybody has a different risk profile and a risk tolerance. You know, on Saturday, some people go skydiving and some people knit right? Knit, uh, crochet, right? So everybody has a different, a different risk prof profile. And, and I often tell people is, you know, is there ever a right time to, to potentially do it? Uh, the, the right time comes down to the following. Either you have a moment of desperation or you have a moment mm -hmm. of inspiration. Um, and more people will take more action based upon desperation than they will with inspiration. But I'd say the really powerful way is that you have an inspiring, inspirational moment, and then you're all in. That's a very powerful way. But but the, the truth of the matter is more people actually make it because they've gone the, in desperation mode. And thousand and, percent. And, I've had two people message me, uh, uh, I don't know, in the last year or so that they got fired from their job unexpectedly. And then within like three months, they made one of them made their entire year's salary in like sales transactions on on when they just said, I got to gather myself and find another way. They did some sort of independent sales role and they made their entire prior year salary three months later selling something, you know, like the other person, not quite that level, but they said the same thing. Like, yeah, you know, I was thrown in the water and I figured out a way to swim. And I agree with you. Desperation is definitely, uh, I think, a bigger motivator. My my goal, my brand, everything I talk about right now is hopefully on the other side of that. It's providing moments like I just did, saying you're living your worst case, some sort of inspiration to get you to get you at least moving toward. Whoa, okay, that shifted me. Doesn't mean you're going to quit tomorrow, but that little shift, that little that little point in a different direction starts you down another path. So in three months, six months, nine months, a year, you're down a better path for you, hopefully, than if you just stayed with where you are going right now. Wow. Hoo-wee, that's, that's incredible. So, hoo-wee, hang on, hang on. Oh, the Roll it. And I, I can do all that with no hands, too, by the way, so. <laughs> Love it. I actually, uh, you know, I just got some new foot pedals. I got these, uh, have you ever heard of El Elgato uh, uh, foot pedals? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I can actually do a lot of these changing. See, look, I can I can change this scene here, and I can change this scene without using my hands. So. Impressive. So <laughs> However, my, my I'm sitting there going, geez, my feet kind of stink here today, so it's like... <laughs> That works. Uh, okay, so look, so within con the context of real estate, what what do you do? What kind of? Um, I know it's not your full gig now. Uh, no, and you're more so of um, on the uh, raising of capital for funds and projects, and you're you're essentially 
attract attracting capital, tying capital to projects in, in and marketing. Or, yeah. I, so so this is again, I love this part yeah. of the journey in terms of people that are looking to quit their job. Not to make this whole show about that, but when I left my job, the idea was I was buying real estate. I bought a couple of duplexes. I burned them, and then I stepped up to multifamily, like a sixteen unit and then a twenty two unit, and that was the plan. And what I learned along the way that I can admit today or shortly after, but but struggled to admit back then was I hate operations. I hate acquisitions. I don't like any of that process. I do like the capital raising investor relations part of the business. I enjoy that. It's a, an interrelational sort of or relational uh, part of that business. I loved hosting a mastermind group. I love hosting a, a networking group, a local meetup, all of that stuff. Like that's the part in real estate that I was really good at. So flash forward, I mentioned one of the things you need is a community that supports you. I meet a guy that is a prominent syndicator in the States, buys, you know, kind of what I was buying, distressed, not too big, between say 20 and 80 unit, multifamily properties, value add strategy, and he syndicates these. And he says, hey, listen, man, appreciate how you show up, your energy, the way you connect people and all of that. Right now with a $200 million portfolio, it's me and one other guy. And we could really use that investor relations marketing type of presence. Do you mind giving up what you're doing and come be a general partner with us in a company called Quantum Capital? And I was like, all day. So wait, wait, wait. I can put down operations and acquisitions? Like, yeah, we got a guy for that. That's Nick. Cool. And I just got to come in and market what we do with Quantum, if I believe it. And I did. And I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, market what we do. Talk to investors. Raise capital for projects that I believe in and I put my own capital in. Yeah. That's a role in real estate that supports me and who I am way, way better than you know, being the guy that's trying to do it all. So I think that's something that people need to remember. Two things. One is you, the pivot is real. If you're saying, I'm going to leave my job to do real estate, that could look very different in version 6.5 or, or 8.5 than whatever you perceive version 1.0 to do. And it's okay, but we don't give ourselves permission to make that pivot when we're 35, 40, 45 years old. It's like, I, I, I went to school for 17 years and then I had a job for 20 years. I got to figure out the next 20 years. It's like, no, the pace of change and the pace of growth that happens when you're outside of those two institutions is so abundantly, much more abundantly faster than what you're used to. So you're going to pivot. And if you're worried about somebody saying, oh my God, you're all over the place, then you got to get over that. But that was my, that was what held me back for a long time. So you're going to pivot. That's one, one aspect. The second is there are, I believe there are three different ways or three different types of people that can add value in a real estate business. You have the underwriter, you have the uh, the uh, connector, and you have the uh, integrator. So you have the integrator, the connector, and the underwriter. If you're any of those three, the underwriter being somebody who just loves spreadsheets, in them all day, optimizes them, goes home from work and searches Edmunds.com for four months to find the right car. That's your analyzer, right? Put that person in, let them underwrite the hell out of deals, okay? That is a valuable piece of a general partnership team. You could stay there. You don't have to talk to people. Stay in that lane. Or you're an integrator. You're somebody who's a field general. Like, I don't think big visions, but you tell me your vision. I could line the soldiers up on the field and I can, I can put that attack plan in place and get it done. That is an incredible skill in any business, not notwithstanding a real estate business. You have a big visionary guy who wants to build this sort of portfolio and do it in these markets. You being the integrator mind saying, well, here's how I would do that. That is an incredible skill. So that is a way you can add value in real estate. Or there's the connector. That's me. This is the person who can be on podcasts and phone calls all day and then go to a networking event and a date with his wife uh, until midnight tonight and then get up tomorrow and do it all again. I don't lose energy when it comes to interaction. 
I do lose energy when it comes to analyzing. The analyzer doesn't lose energy. Analyzing does lose energy, needs to get a break if they're in a networking environment. Not that you can't do these things, but it just doesn't give you the energy. So the other lesson in that is you don't have to be all things in a real estate business. Choose what you're great at, be in that lane, find the people or be on a team with other people that are already in place that are great at those other areas. And you form an incredible, incredible real estate team. So that is, and I, I know you probably have to go, but I can give you a quick overview of why I believe in what we do with quantum, if it gives you a sense. Because I think there's well, some hang on. And... Before you do that, do you need to catch a breath there, bro? You're too out. I never knew. Yeah. Oh, I told you, my energy is ridiculous on this side. Ridiculous. <laughs> Holy so here... moly. So please, please, I, I, I'm very interested. I always, I'm I'm a geek when it comes to structures and, and yeah. the way people raise capital for projects and stuff like that. Because, you know, success leaves clues, obviously, right? So... That's one of the things I think we're in a lot in alignment to this as well. And uh, that one really hit home for me, that last little gang. If you've been listening to this and you need to rewind that again, please rewind that and put that on repeat until it until it's drilled into your into your head. So, yeah, no, I, I, I truly believe that you have to find your role in real estate. Not one person is everything. All things to everybody. But as far as you know, why I what I see in the real estate market right now, why I believe in what we're doing with quantum, I, I got up. I'll be very honest with you. I think it all comes down for those that are we're going into in June of 2023. We're going into turbulent times, or maybe we're already in the middle of them. We're already in the middle of them. Rates are up. You're seeing distress in the multifamily market, especially in the commercial market, especially in cities like San Francisco and others where there's massive office vacancy. God knows what's going to happen when those office leases that are already empty but they're paying them actually stop being paid, but that's for another day. It all comes down to debt terms. In my opinion, the more, the better and more conservative the debt terms, the better and more, more uh, sure you are of getting a return. Too many people, and I've seen this happen in capital raising, I'll talk to them about a deal and it's got a 15 to 17 IRR, maybe a one eight equity multiple, and it's going to return you a seven to 8% or seven to 9% cash on cash over a six year hold. What they'll say is I got a Broadway play that's getting me a 25 IRR. Okay, uh, great. But do you understand the variability and the uncertainty of a soft asset like a Broadway play? That's a real example, by the way. They'll they'll look at IRR or or even a multifamily property. Oh, look at the IRR. But but what is the underlying debt? What is the underlying debt? I believe there are two things that you need to have in place in order to feel really confident in a deal. And I'm so glad that this market is creating desire around boring returns again. 15 IRR, 16 IRR is a great IRR. Six to, or seven to 9% cash on cash is excellent. It's good. You can do better, I'm sure. You can do a little worse, but these are good, good metrics and they're probably a very sound investment. So one, gotta be low loan to value. Gotta be low loan to value. So if you are anything over, let's say 70, I think that's risky. I think 65 is better. With quantum, we're about at a 58% loan to value, even if you compress the, uh, the values of, of real estate today. So we're about 58% loan to value. Second is, what is the term of your debt? If you're in the commercial space, often, I think it's the same in Canada, you get an amortization schedule for 30 years or 25 years, but the debt is due way sooner. And what has happened in the last two, three years is people are taking on high loan to value, short-term debt at 3% with two years before the whole thing is due. Works great from 2014 to 2022. Works excellent, right? You could get away with that if you're in that range. You look like a genius because you're turning these properties, values are going up. You're giving investors their return high on the hop. But in this environment, when you get caught, you get caught. 3,200 units repossessed. 
in uh, in uh, Houston recently because people are taking on short-term debt, meaning a one to two-year term with high loan to value. So when values go down, cap rates go up, when values compress, now you've got an asset you need to refinance. You're already fully leveraged to a value that it's not anymore. And you don't have the cash to bring to the table, nor do you have the capital from your investors, nor should you even ask for it in order to get out of that deal. So it goes back to the bank or you try to sell it at a loss or whatever it might be. So if you've got a deal that's got a 65% loan to value and it's got a five to 10 year term with maybe an optional five-year extension beyond that, 15 years you can hold the asset, that to me is sexy in this environment. Right. No, I, and I've had some, com- I was just at a big conference just recently and some of the bigger players that I I know that are buying in primarily in the U.S. are literally just sitting in cash positions right now because they've seen some blood. They haven't seen enough blood to really dive into there's the water blood. yet. Look, there's one big Canadian company that right now is I'm, I'm invested in them. And I knew, I saw what they do. They have a high velocity of money. They churn deals quickly. They invest in the U.S., Arizona, Texas, so on and so forth. And they recently sent out a newsletter like, we got four quadrants of properties. These are pretty good. These we think will hopefully be good. These eek, and these are done. So they are absolutely in a position right now where they're not doing well because their strategy, and again, I have some money invested in them. So it's not like you, you know, you're impervious to this, but their strategy is to move, move the the debt quick, move the property quickly, which means they're willing to take on aggressive debt terms. And, you know. If you could do, you should do that a little bit in your portfolio, but it can't be your entire investment strategy. And if you're raising capital, if you're the one raising capital, man, I just don't want to be sitting on that ride when it ends as their capital raiser. Yeah. And, and typically I, I, the one saving, not saving grace, the one, um, component of all of that is how safe is the cash flow in there, right? So, yeah. you know, d- loan to values is one thing, but do you have the cash flow to support the operations? Do you have the 100%. cash flow to ride out if there's any dips and things like that? And one of the things that we're seeing in, in some of the markets that I'm investing in, we have so many people moving in and they're not bringing on houses even close to fast enough to even help uh, to, to even come close to scratching the surface it's in a good opportunity right now to be in a, an affordable rental housing product and a, and a market. Yeah, yeah. So. We well, our, our motto at Quantum around investment is not is not uh, cash flow first. It's location, location, location. For that reason, you're in a high demand market where there's a shortage and there's a lot of markets like that. And we do we invest in submarkets of submarkets that are the like the ones where everybody wants to be and is going into because it creates more demand for your product. Yep. Well, I tell you, you know what? You and I could probably just even have a, just a riff off of that one conversation there, and we could do a three hour Joe Rogan podcast episode. I do here. those now, but they're but, fun, man. But they're I do, fun. I do know you. You know, it's it's you're on Dominican time, right? So it's you know, it's 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 afternoon is happy hour here soon, and I do want to put it on me. I think you got to pick up your kid or something, don't you? <laughs> I, I'll be. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, oh, I'm good, man. Whatever you want. Okay. So let's go into, you had a, and I wanted to chat with you and I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest. I did not listen to the episode yet, but you had the um, person from the fire festival. So if any of you are not familiar yeah. with fire festival, go onto Netflix, find, I think it's called fire, isn't it? F F Y R E F Y R E. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fascinating tale of, of essentially fraud in many respects when it comes right down to it. And then the person there, then that person went to jail and you had them, did you, did you like pick them up in a car and you brought them to the, to the studio for the episode or how did that episode come Almost. down and how did you meet the, how did you get the person and what was some of the key lessons you learned from that? 
almost flew to New York to do a live episode and decided not to. Billy McFarland is his name. You can look up the episode, Tribe of Millionaires, Billy McFarland. You can see it. Uh, I do a lot of outreach for interesting guests. And, you know, the, the podcast is about, you know, the power of community for entrepreneurs and so on. But I, I tend to I tend to allow myself some license to go into issues like this. Like, all right, here's a fraudster, convicted, admitted fraudster. He's out of jail now. What's he up to? It's just interesting, right? It's just interesting. Or I've had you know people on the political spectrum uh, come on. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to do something on uh, the discussion around trans rights right now. I want to get I want to get some maybe a, even a panel on that to talk about on the podcast. I, it's anything I'm interested in, kind of Joe Rogan esque, I guess, in that way. But I do a lot of outreach. Billy McFarland is no different than getting I mentioned uh, Sebastian Younger or you know some NFL players I've had on, Major League Baseball players have had on. Um, other New York Times bestselling authors. Who's the one that I just booked recently? I had I've had Gay Hendricks on. Uh, there was another guy. Yeah, another he wrote the time. big, the big leap, which is a fantastic book. Yeah, amazing book. Everybody should read that book. Yeah, but yeah. So these guests of prominence, I guess you could say, I do a lot of outreach. So the beauty of this is, and I assume you're asking, like, how am I finding Billy yeah. and these guests, or Absolutely. just Billy? Both. Yeah. Okay. And then so some of the, the lessons you've learned from some of these prominent guests. I'll get into that for sure. So yeah. the, the I have a flow when I reach out. First and foremost, I do a lot through Instagram. You have to follow the person. You have to like and 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 uh, engage with their content. Otherwise, your your direct message is going to go to their requests bucket. So you got to have some some time following a week, two weeks, whatever, and interacting with them a little bit before you can just do this. But what I'll typically do is I'll I'll do kind of like a four or five part message to them all in DM, and it'll say it'll start with something like, "Hey, my name's Jamie." Fan of what you've done, not so much with Billy, but more like interested in what you've done in your story. <laughs> Please, and I want to do a how-to episode on <laughs> right, right, right. And then I'll get specific as to what I mean by that. So if it, it might be something like fan of fan of your new book, I love the part where you talked about X, right? So I'll give them something like I'm not just saying fan of your book like like any spammer because I do. I I read and I look and I listen to podcasts or whatever it might be. Then after that, I'll I'll talk about the request. I'll say, hey, I've got this podcast. Would love to have you on. And I'll put something in there to build some credibility for the podcast. Typically, what I'll do now is I'll look at who they follow. And anybody that they follow that I've had on, I'll mention them. I've had Tom Bilyeu on. I've had Jesse Itzler on. I've had these different people on. So I'll mention that in that next kind of section. And then I'll say something like uh, like giving them permission to say no. It's like, listen, I completely get if you're too booked up right now, but would love to have you know. But if you can't, I understand I'm still a fan. And then lastly, I'll offer them some sort of uh, uh, incentive to come on. So it'll be something like, hey, listen, anytime in the next six to 12 months, you've got a book or a product coming out, just let me know the best timing or who to get in touch with. Um, and then I'll even say, and we will, I'll say, hey, listen, I'll put ad spend behind this to guarantee a certain number of listens as well. So I'll do all of these things in like a three or four paragraph. And I say paragraph, like two sentence paragraphs, DM to them. And I get a decent response rate. I, I should probably track it, but I would say half reply they say, yeah, hey, this sounds great. Let's do it. Or here's my person, connect with them. And now I'm getting to a point where I'll put the feelers out. I might get a no or they might ghost me. And then they'll come back when they have a product coming out and they'll say, hey, Jamie, would you still like to have so-and-so on, on Tribe of Millionaires? So it's really, it's really a, it's like, it's like marketing for real estate. It's a broad approach. You got to mail everybody within your, you got to mail 40,000 letters to get two deals. It's the same thing. You've got to put out a bunch of feelers to a bunch of different types of guests one of them is uh, Seth Godin. Do you know Seth Godin? Yeah, know him very well. I have his email address. Sorry, I, got I should say I know, <laughs> I know of yeah, no, him. I get it. And, I and get I say it. I know him because I got a whole bunch of his books on my shelf. So obviously I know him. 
So I, I, I had a guy on a podcast that's got a great podcast and he loved my episode because I, again, I do a lot of research. So they're like, wow, man, like really appreciate that. How can I help you? And I'll say, always looking for amazing guests. Anybody you'd recommend? And he goes, you know, who's really gettable is Seth Godin. And, and who was the other? He gave me, gave me one more, but he's like, Seth Godin, man, like here's his email. So I email Seth Godin and he replies back like lightning. He's like, Jamie, now's not the right time. I'm like, no problem, Seth. Let me know. I'll, I'll message back when I see something. Message him again. Now's not the right time. Has a book coming out two months ago. I see the book. Hey, Seth, here's what we've done. We've grown to this size now. We're even way bigger than what we were before. I'll put ad spend behind it. However, I can help you promote the book. It's not a good fit. So I get those no's, right? I get those no's. Everything else lines up, right? This is a guy, I told him who referred me, a friend of his who, who he's been on his podcast. I had the timing down. The size of my show fits as far as, you know, uh, 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 it would add value to him and, and getting his book out there. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because I messaged him three times over a year, he didn't want to do it. And you got to just roll with that. So yeah. I didn't get Seth Godin, but I've gotten, you know, Sean Casey, or I've gotten Exhibit, or while well, Exhibit was another another deal, but I've gotten all these different interesting guests that I've had on. And um, as you get them, you can leverage other, you can leverage those guests to get other guests, and that's where the momentum really starts. Wow! And, now, and you know, you know, when Seth Godin does come on on their podcast in a few years from now, when he reaches out to you, then you know, boom. <laughs> well, I talk about vision. My next vision. I just talked to my accountability pod about this. My next vision is to grow a such a valuable platform that the the uh, the biggest names in the industry will be requesting me to be on the podcast as opposed meaning to be on my podcast yeah. as opposed to me reaching out. I want the Bobby Kennedys saying I got to be on Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, and Jamie Gruber. I got to be on those three podcasts. That's my objective for the next five years. Wow, that's awesome. And and I woo wee one hundred percent bringing the fire. And I. Uh, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with a, a fellow the other day and he came up and goes, oh, I heard you have a podcast. I, I did a presentation, live presentation. I said, please subscribe to my podcast. Usually at the end, that's all I ask of anybody. And this person comes up, I want to be a guest in your podcast. And I said, that's fantastic. Um, I, I'd love to have you as a guest too. Tell me, what was your favorite episode? Uh, 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 um, okay. T tell me, what are some of the things you've learned from my podcast over, over the things? Uh, 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 okay, well, your message, how would that fit within my core philosophy and my core intention of my life and what I want to build my podcast around? Uh, 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 but I want to be on your podcast. And I say, well, you got a little homework. And when you come back yeah. and you can at least answer those three questions, and then you can, you know, deliver something that you can share how it would inspire and encourage and inspire and come from a place of love with my audience, which is my core intention. And when you can tell me those kind of things, I would be honored to have you as a guest on my on my a show. Barrier to entry. Yep. Smart man. So smart man. All right, brother. Well, here's the thing: is you know we could go many different directions, and I I know I only did block you off for a little bit of time, and shame on me for not blocking off more. But uh, one of the yeah, questions. Man, good. Okay, but good. So so two things I want to I want to kind of end off here with is is number number one is I just wanted to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge how you show up. I always acknowledge every time you and I have had a conversation, Jamie, I leave feeling a better person. And I know Same. we we don't communicate like every week or every month, but the times that we do interact, I walk away feeling like I could go punch a gorilla. Now, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't end pretty, but I feel like I can go punch a gorilla <laughs> if need be, right? Um, and I just, and that comes from just how you show up and how you elevate your game to interact with people you 
you talk with. So I just wanted to just acknowledge that. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. That and means the, a lot. The last question I'm going to leave you with is, um, so something I leave with everybody is if you're, if somebody's sitting here and they're feeling a little bit stuck, whether it's in the context of real estate or just anything in life in general, somebody just feeling stuck and they just not sure about maybe a next step that's right for them. What's some wise words that you can offer somebody to help them get unstuck and just take that next step that's right? I would start with getting clarity. I like things in threes, so I call this my three C's. I would start with getting clarity. Understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. Not how you're going to accomplish it, but just what's the outcome you want. I mentioned my vision a few years ago was to travel three months with my family to any destination. Right? That was not by doing this. It was just simply to do that. My new vision I just articulated to you was or is uh, to create such a valuable platform that the biggest names request to be booked on my show. I don't know how yet. I'll figure out the how along the way. Those are goals. But have something clear and compelling that that you are, are driving toward. So that's the first thing. The way, by the way, to get that, I highly encourage, do a solo weekend. Get out, do three days on your own. Uh, if you want to email me, I'll give you my email at the end. I can send you a, a PDF on this that'll, that'll lay out exactly what to do on a solo weekend. Happy to do it. Second is you have to build confidence in the identity that you're trying to create. So I believe that identity doesn't happen. I'm sorry. I believe that identity happens before the outcome. In other words, you shift your identity and then the result lags. The best example of this for me is having kids. When your wife or girlfriend, or if you are a woman listening, is pregnant, in that moment, your identity shifted. Now, you don't have the baby, so you're not a parent, technically. You don't, if you look at the definition of parent, I've looked it up. You don't have a kid yet, right? But you've got something brewing inside of you that will become a kid. So your identity shifts to parent, dad, mom. And nine months later, the result lags. So you have to shift your identity to the direction you're trying to go to. Again, clear, compelling vision will help that. Oh, over here, boom, identity shifted. Now you're going down this lane. And now to keep you on the track is the third C, and that's community. If you are surrounded by people who are remember when, and what I mean is that they know who you you for who you've been or who you maybe are right now. That's the equivalent of crabs in a barrel. Are you familiar with that reference, Russell? You crabs in you. a barrel? You betcha. Okay. Crabs in a barrel. If one tries to crawl out, they all drag them down. Doesn't mean that they're doing that out of spite or hate. They're doing it out of love. Oh my God, what are you trying to do? Keep your job. Stay safe. Don't buy that real estate. My uncle Tony went bankrupt. That's what remember when friends do. Now, if you've shifted your identity because you've got this clear and compelling vision and you're moving toward and building confidence in what that identity is, then you need a community of imagine when people around you, those that are representative of who you're becoming, not who you've been. They don't care about who you've been. They don't care about who you are. They see what you've created and what you're trying to create, and they're going to hold you accountable and be there with you every step of the way until you create it. So you got to have clarity. You got to have confidence in your new identity, and you need to have the right community around you. Oh, wow. Oh, hang on. Ooh, wait. Ooh, I like what the are, like, what are I'm going for him. Is now. that six or seven? Or, oh. I think I'm on seven. <laughs> Somebody could tell me. Yes. Me. So if, if you're watching this on YouTube, go back and put it in the comments below how many that was for, for Mr. That's Jamie seven. Gruber. Well, well done, my brother. So clarity, confidence, and community are yeah. the three C's that uh, that you just shared there. And I 100% echo that as well. That's fantastic. My brother... It'll probably be another couple more years before we, we book another podcast and catch up. Anytime, but one Anytime. of the things I like doing is I like circling back with stories that we tell. Like we we told the story back when when you 
just made the the decision. Now we're circling back to the next part of the story where you've you've created an incredible uh, momentum and you have a grander vision. And we're going to circle back again when you're having those great big guests and the biggest one of the biggest platforms out there in the world. And then we're going to circle back again because that is, in my opinion, truly inspiring is when we can tell that story over time because that's cool. a commitment to the process and relentless obsessive work towards that process will yield a result. Thank you very much, my friend. So, how did you like the follow-up story to that episode? I, that's one of the things I've just been been looking to do. Is a lot of people I'm just been catching up with uh, of the last over the last couple of months, and I really want to tell the follow-up stories to a lot of these things. You know, sometimes you just you hear the you know the one and done, if you will, and somebody comes on and tells all the things that they're doing in the world of real estate and stuff like that. And it sounds so fantastic, but maybe you don't ever follow up with them and you don't ever find out. And sometimes maybe they completely, you know, you know what the bed and it was, it turned out to be a complete dud. And those are the kind of things I want to share with people. I want to share the good, the bad and the ugly because this journey of entrepreneurship, this journey of real estate investing is not an easy journey. It truly isn't. And you need to be surrounded by people that have been down that road before you, people that have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, people that have gone through the wars and are still standing at the end of it as well. Um, some days I, I sit there and I go, geez, wow, that was a crazy day. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get through that one. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to put on the brave face and you just tackle it one day at a time, one task at a time. So gang, what I'm just going to put out there uh, one more time is I do have one spot available. As of the recording of this, I have one spot available uh, for a personalized one-on-one -on -one coaching program. I, I typically only take on a handful of people at a time. And I do that for multiple reasons. Number one is I have to give, it's a full-on commitment. It's a commitment from both parts. It's a commitment from myself. It's a commitment from the, from the, the coaching client as well. And I have to be able to have the capacity and the time availability to be able to pour into the client as well. So as of the recording of this podcast episode right now, I do have one spot available. Now, if you are listening to this sometime after the future, um, you know, reach out. By all means, um, hit me up on my website at russellwestcott.com. There'll be a consultation button there. Um, fill in your little bit of information, a little bit of an agenda, that, some stuff you'd like to talk about. And then we can see if coaching, personalized coaching is right for you. And I'll tell you at that time, if I do have a spot and an availability uh, at that time. Okay. But as of right now, and this is be released sometime, probably summer of 2023. I do have some capacity. So if you are interested in having a personalized coaching program tailored and specific for your requirements, tailored specifically for the result you want to accomplish, maybe you want to fire your boss and get full time into the business. Maybe you just want to get your next property under, under your belt. Maybe you want to dive, uh, make the transition from hobby into a little bit more of scaling and growing and um, spreading out your influence out into the marketplace and teaching and sharing and inspiring others to greatness at the same time. If that's your jam, I'm here to help.
Okay, gang? So if you're interested, um, in the show notes below, there will be a link. Hit me up, and I can let you know about the process, about all the different options, and how I can help you take things up to the next level. Okay, gang, remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.